Ladies and gentlemen, welcome wrestling fans worldwide to Knoxville and the Great Smoky Mountains for the Ron Fuller Tennessee Studcast. Six feet nine inches tall, 265 pounds. This historic podcast from one of the most respected and successful wrestlers and promoters will follow the footsteps of the largest and oldest wrestling family on the planet. Listen to what I'm saying. That's right. Bring that camera in here a little bit closer. Through 93 years and four generations. The stud has arrived. Old school or new fan, this unique broadcast will educate and captivate as Ron details decades of professional wrestling's growth with truly unforgettable stories. I want those people out there at home to hear the stud. Sit back and enjoy the ride with the Tennessee stud. The Tennessee stud. You will learn that name, you will remember it. And now, the stud is here. Hey everybody, welcome in. Happy New Year. It's David Summers and it's another studcast with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller. It's the story of wrestling in America as told by the stud, whose family started the profession 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring and back into time. We get wall to wall and treetop tall with the Tennessee stud Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. Hey, Ron, Happy New Year! It's been since it's been since last year since we talked. Yeah, just about, man. Yeah, I think we did one on the uh, first day of the year, but uh, it's uh, it seems like last year. Seems like it's been a while. We don't normally uh, separate these studcasts by anything more than a week, but this one, I guess, got around ten days or so. But uh, you know. Uh, I think fans uh, hopefully enjoyed enjoyed uh, what we did uh, for them, uh, Christmas time and New Year's. I think absolutely. And listen, in my opinion, congratulations are due you, Stud. Your idea of releasing the last two Studcasts on Christmas Day and New Year's Day, exactly 44 years from the day they occurred, one in 1979, Christmas, of course, the other one a week later, 1980, on New Year's Day, your family was highly involved in both events in one of the hottest wrestling cities in the world at that time, which was Mobile, Alabama. Yeah, on Christmas night, man, the building uh, wouldn't hold all the fans that wanted to get in. And uh, the capacity, you know, of the Expo Hall was uh, just over 5,000, around 5,500. And we had to turn some fans away. And luckily, we were able to get into the main arena the next week for the New Year's Day event. And we were able to put in over 8,000 in that building. So you're right, Dave. Uh, Mobile, Alabama was definitely one of the hotbeds of wrestling back in that day. It was a brilliant idea to bring in your father as well as you and Robert's partner and involve two generations of wrestling fans. Well, my father had established Mobile as one of the best wrestling cities in the world. Uh, he drew a record crowd there in 1958 in the Ladd Memorial Stadium. Yeah. Uh, to see him wrestle the legendary Mario Galento. And, uh, and then that night in 1958, uh, it definitely put the Gulf Coast wrestling territory on the wrestling map. And I can tell you that the entire wrestling world was blown away by that crowd. And listen, if, you, if you're interested right now, you can go to tnstud.com. While we're doing this studcast, you can see the photo of your dad in that particular match. And it is absolutely 
incredible. He is a bloody mess. All right, there's one more thing in the last Studcast that got a great reaction from fans. Your new wrestling's hidden history lesson. The first one covered the Knoxville transition of ownership, which was from you to the Georgia promoters and also the infamous Plan B video, which was done by the Knoxville Five wrestlers in 1980. All right, so where do we ride today? Heidi, get this thing going. Well, we're going to begin with the second hidden history lesson, and uh, we're heading uh, back in to 1977, man, the year I bought the Gulf Coast Territory from Lee Fields and a member of my, uh, you know, who was a member of my uh, Welch Wrestling family, a very extended family, I guess you could call it. And uh, this is a great illustration, man, of just how much was and, and, and still is unknown by wrestling fans about what went on behind the kayfabe curtain, man, years ago. So Lee's uh, first attempted sale was a total disaster uh, long before I even knew anything about it. Uh, you know, it's, uh, so then we're going to get down to the actual wrestling part of this studcast. We're going to be focusing on the second event in the second week of 1980 in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory. It's a tremendous card, uh, and it's going to feature the beginning of the horrifying. I guess that's a good word for it. I really don't know how to explain it. Uh, the the uh, Jola Duke and Mongolian Stomper bloodbaths, man, are about to begin for fans uh, in that part of the country. <laughs> so the TV that promotes this card is going to be a fantastic one, man. And it'll be a... Uh, it's going to have in it a shocking video from the former Tennessee Territory, one that lays the foundation for all that's going to come between LaDuke and the Stomper. And, and I'll give everyone uh, the surprising results of the results of the card in Mobile, Alabama, which was going to be on a Tuesday night, the new night for Mobile. It's going to change from Wednesdays to Tuesdays. It's going to be on Tuesday, January 8, 1980, almost exactly 44 years to go to the day uh, and the attendances, we'll talk about all the attendances in all three of those major cities in that part of the country. And hopefully, Dave, we'll maybe have enough time for another learning tree question. <laughs> all right. So it sounds like we're in for a real treat today. There's another hidden history that I'm going to enjoy, and I know all the fans are going to enjoy that as well. A great card that has the first booked matches between Joe LaDuke and the Mongolian Stomper, the results of those matches, attendances, and maybe even a learning tree question. I think it means we better get saddled up and we better hit the trail fast. We're going to begin this, man, right away. You know, we're going to start with this hidden history lesson today. Uh, we're going to do these every week. Uh, and that this is at the very beginning of the original Gulf Coast Territory. We're going to go back to 1954 for this one. And uh, I was six years old when my grandfather, Roy, uh, contacted my father, who was living in Kingsport, Tennessee. Me and Rob were just little boys. And uh, Dad had been running matches in that tri-city areas of Tennessee uh, up into Kentucky and Virginia and even West Virginia for Roy, my grandfather, Roy. And uh, so Roy told Dad, pack up. And he says, I want you to move to Mobile, Alabama. I want you to open a new territory there. He said, I wanted to focus on the cities, all of the cities along the Gulf Coast of America, from Panama City all the way to New Orleans. 
So my father was just 27 years old. And then the next five years, he not only did what Roy asked, but he ended up running some inland cities as well. Dothan is an example. And in 1958, he set a new southern United States record crowd, uh, you know, that I mentioned a little bit earlier in this one. Uh, so uh, my father built this new territory with some of uh, the youngest and greatest talent in the history of the sport, man, back in those days, uh, three of which were Roy's sister's sons. The three Fields brothers, Lee, Bobby, and Don, uh, were uh, the sons of uh, Roy. Actually, it were Roy. Roy was their uncle. So, uh, so in 1959, my father not only sold, uh, he left. We left the Gulf Coast. Uh, he started in the 54, 1959. My father uh, sold the Gulf Coast territory that he had built. And he not only sold the territory, but he sold the 300-acre ranch that we had uh, between Mobile and Pensacola. And he sold that to the Fields Brothers, both the territory and the ranch. And uh, then uh, Dad went out on his own and uh, went and purchased Memphis, Tennessee, of all places. So the Fields Brothers ran wrestling basically in the Gulf Coast territory for at least 17 years. And, and probably a few years longer than that, I think, would very easily be, be the case. And uh, they did very well until kind of their age and the, the amount of time they'd been in the ring kind of caught up with them. And uh, so Don, I think, who was the youngest of the three, had a car accident that ended his career. And about that same time as their their business began to drop off, which was around 1976 in that time frame. So Lee had been kind of put in charge of running the wrestling or part of it, you know. But uh, at the same time, Lee had it highly involved in uh, stock car racing. Uh, he really loved that. And uh, even though he had his own track in Mobile. And so... Uh, they were ready. They were ready, basically, about 1976 or so, to sell their wrestling company. So here's where things get a little strange, Dave. Uh, Jim Barnett, who bought me out in Knoxville in 1979, mm -hmm. which is uh, you know uh, two years earlier, uh, was out there looking for small territory. You know, around and he, you know, obviously he wanted to be close to his Georgia territory, which was located in Atlanta. So, and and I was at the same period of time, young guy, having done very well there in Knoxville. I was looking to expand my Knoxville territory, uh, just as uh, just as well as uh, Jim was looking for territories close by as well. Mm. So, my focus at that point, though. When I first started, was basically on Ohio. I wanted to maybe take, take over Ohio, go into Ohio, take what the sheik had had there. Hmm. And uh, Jim's focus was I didn't even I wasn't even aware of this at the time. Was on the Gulf Coast territory. Wow. Okay, that's pretty fascinating, Stud. And now I'm a little uh, like, wow, I didn't know any of that part about uh, your fascination with Ohio. Really cool stuff. Both you and Jim Barnett. We're wanting to expand by 1977. So this is truly is hidden history. So where else in wrestling podcasts can you hear anything like this? So what, what do you do? What happens next? 
1977, two years before he bought Knoxville from me, Jim Barnett was working on a deal with Lee Fields to buy the Gulf Coast Territory. I had no idea he was even for sale, you know, and I had so focused on Ohio, I hadn't even thought about something of being available on the Gulf Coast. So Barnett and Lee uh, came to some kind of agreement. I think it was probably in mid-1977, but I don't think any money changed hands in this agreement they had. I think Barnett asked, actually, to be allowed to run a couple of Gulf Coast shows to see how they they would do, you know, his Atlanta territory. How, 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 we, how can we draw or will we draw down there, you know, and... Uh, and he didn't, you know, before he paid anything for the territory, he, he made a deal with Lee to say, uh, I'll let you run a couple of shows just to see what happens. And that, you know, that meant Lee was very desperate to, to let go of things at that point if he was going to work a deal like that. And uh, there again, I never knew any of this about these two shows after all this was long over, you know. So the city that was going to be Barnett's test city, was Dothan, Alabama. And uh, Lee was only running a few matches anywhere by that time. You know, uh, Charlie Platt, uh, you know, Lee had cut back. Uh, he didn't have a very big crew anymore. He had an eastern side of a territory and a western side. The eastern side uh, was just Dothan, uh, maybe Panama City. Western side was in towns in Mississippi. Hmm. So, you know, he had basically almost shut his territory down anyway. So Charlie Platt was a... Uh, Still doing Lee's TV. There was still a TV being produced in Dothan, Alabama every Saturday. And Charlie was doing the commentary way back, 1976, 1977. And uh, I never discussed any of this with Charlie uh, until a couple of weeks ago. And uh, Charlie and I got to talking about it. And he said, uh, were you aware that, that uh, Barnett ran some shows in Dothan, two shows in Dothan? So, uh, Charlie, you know, and I, and I was like, are you kidding? Before he bought and paid for the territory, you know, and he said, yes. So Charlie told me uh, when this agreement started, you know, he said Barnett was sending his Georgia championship wrestling TV show down to Dothan before he got ready to run his two shows. He wanted to put his Georgia TV into Dothan so that, uh, you know, people could come, become familiar with some of his wrestlers as well. And uh, Lee, you know, obviously he was really desperate to get out of wrestling. And, you know, so he allowed him to go ahead and do that. And uh, so he, he, it ran uh, the TV show for many weeks there before Barnett ever tried to uh, the first event. He, he was he wasn't sure how it was going to do, obviously. Wow. I have forgotten if I even knew that I've forgotten that completely. Now, one thing I haven't forgotten, Charlie, Charlie Platt, of course, is like ancient in this area. When you see him occasionally, maybe up at the at the local eatery, I have to dust him off. <laughs> anyway, we love Charlie. Listen, that's amazing that Lee was letting Barnett run one of the cities in his territory before he got any money, even for the sale of the Gulf Coast territory. I mean, it really is getting crazy. So what happened on the show's? that Barnett ran and they, and say this again, they did run in the same time slot. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, he let, he let them put the Georgia TV show on in the place wow. of his, 
of his Gulf Coast show. Wow. Uh, you know, he was just bending over backward, basically, to get them to, 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 to buy it. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, so then I, I, I pressed Charlie once. I talked to him, and he says, you know, they ran a couple of shows here, Ron. And I was like, oh, are you kidding me, Charlie? I never knew this. And he goes, so uh, Charlie went out, and uh, in the last week he got in touch with me, and he found one of those cards, right, that Barnett ran in Dothan before the actual sale of the territory. And uh, this show was around uh, November 1977. It was in the Houston County Farm Center. I even got the card here. So I'm going to give fans here the, the card that uh, Georgia ran in the Gulf Coast Territory before there was an actual sale. Okay. So the first match was El Cocho, uh, who I'm not familiar with, versus Dean Ho. Dean Ho was one of my guys in Knoxville in 1979. Uh, Ted Oates wrestled against a guy named Bill Howard. Bob Root wrestled against Steve Kern. Uh, the Anderson brothers, Ole and Gene Anderson, wrestled against Mike Graham and a guy named Bob Beckham. And the main event was Mr. Wrestling 2 versus Dick Slater. So after seeing the card and noticing such a strong presence of Florida talent on it, I think there was even a possibility that the Florida and Georgia territories may have been working on both buying a piece of the Gulf Coast, basically working together because they were both close. Uh, you had Columbus, Georgia, but not very far from Dothan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you had Tallahassee, which wasn't very far from Dothan in the Florida territory. Almost exactly the same, two hours away from Dothan. For, yeah. yeah, for yeah. Uh, Tallahassee and Columbus. How, how yeah. did, what about the box office? How did they do? Well, you know, uh, Charlie was there and, uh, you know, and I asked him, that was my first question. I said, how did they do? And he said, they bombed out, Ron. He goes, it was absolutely <laughs> horrible. Wow. Okay. He, he told me, uh, you know, they said they came back soon after. Made about two weeks later, he said they came back. And he said they brought an even stronger card, which that's a pretty strong card. You had some good guys. The Anderson brothers are great guys. Mm-hmm. You had Mike Graham. You had Dick Slater. You had Wrestling too. You had Steve Kern. You had Bob Root. I mean, you had some good guys on that first car, and Charlie said the second card was even stronger. He said they brought in Abdullah the Butcher. Oh, wow. And wow. I said, uh, well, how did that one do, Charlie? And he said they bombed again. Wow. So uh, so Barnett backed out of the deal with Lee, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, on December 18, 1977, uh, this was just days after Barnett and Lee's deal fell through. Uh, I was wrestling in Detroit, Michigan for the Sheik. And that night, I was supposed to go in and uh, finalize the deal to buy Ohio from the Sheik. But uh, I had heard about this thing. And then I went. Uh, so I, I we ended up in a dressing room together in uh, Cobo Hall, me and the Sheik, just me and the Sheik. And I, I basically killed the deal to buy Ohio. And, and I was totally unaf- unaware of a, a lot of what had happened on the Gulf Coast down there. Mm-hmm. But I knew that then I got the news that the, the Gulf Coast was for sale. So the next day I got up in Detroit, Michigan and got on a plane and flew to Mobile, Alabama. I stayed with Lee in his home for four days. 
And I went every day with a guy named Rocky McGuire that ran all of the western side, the eastern side of uh, the Gulf Coast territories. And I looked at all of all the Gulf Coast cities, checked out the buildings that talked to the TV stations. Mm-hmm. So basically, I made a deal to buy the Gulf Coast territory just three days before Christmas in 1977. The rest is history. All right. And just to clarify again, you stayed at Lee's place for like four days. Lee Fields is he's a cousin, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. He's a relative. Yes, he is related. Like I said, it's a uh, my grandfather. He was a son of my grandfather's sister. Gotcha. Okay. So, yes. Uh, so uh, yep. Uh, so so I, that's how basically I ended up with the Gulf Coast territory. After Barnett had dickered back and forth with Lee, been able to run a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, it was a it was a real <laughs> mess. But wow, like I said, it was my going in and buying it and set, setting up that deal three days before Christmas in nineteen seventy seven. We went in there uh, first uh, first Friday in March of nineteen seventy eight into Dothan and started running uh, Gulf Coast territory. Wow. I, th- I really think these hidden history lessons you're doing now are really fascinating. Where else in wrestling is anybody going to be giving details or give you the opportunity to hear the deep dive stuff like this? True wrestling history begging to be uncovered. So what what is the lesson in this one, Stud? Well, you know, I, I guess I guess I'd have to say, you know, uh, timing is everything, man, and uh, and you know, and I just I guess I, I trusted in the good Lord uh, that uh, He would make 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 this the right decision for me, and uh, and I took the leap of faith uh, that Barnett wasn't willing to take, and uh, wow, rest is history. That's that's the way they put it, right? The rest is history. Well said. And I'm curious, what was your opinion about the couple of shows that ran and they bombed? What what do you think was the cause of that? Was it basically an unfamiliarity of the fans in the market to the product? Yes. I think what happened is uh, uh, Barnett went about it the wrong way. Uh, I didn't do it that way at all. When I got involved, we started making television shows in Knoxville uh, for the Dothan TV uh, months, two months before we ever came in to, to run the first card. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we made them exclusively for Dothan, for the Gulf Coast down there, uh, so that they got to see all these new people, but they got to see them for two months solid. And uh, then we finally came in uh, and opened it up. And uh, it started off much better than it did with, with Lee. I mean, uh, you know, I, I asked God, Charlie, you know, the first night we were there, I said, oh, how does this crowd look? And he goes, well, uh, you know, uh, Lee Fields, uh, he was here uh, three months ago. Uh, he didn't have one third of this. Right? Wow. Right. So we got off to a great start because we did it a little differently. Mm. Uh, what you said earlier about timing and uh, letting the good Lord kind of make uh, well said on that. I can't wait for the next lesson, by the way. And before we get into our break, after what you said earlier, uh, all right, that's really cool. So I can't wait to hear what was on the card for this studcast. So can you give us the card now for Mobile, Alabama, on its third straight new night of Tuesday, January 8th, 1980? Can, Dave. Uh, the opening match was, dig this name, Terry Orndorff, 
who happened to be the younger brother of the future Hall of Famer Paul Orndorff, <laughs> just came into the territory. Terry was going to be wrestling against a guy called Mr. X. Roy Lee Welch was facing the masked man, super pro, that the guy that had been given the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, all he could handle for weeks at this point, man. Uh, then the United States junior title was on the line. The wrestling pro was getting a shot at the new United States junior heavyweight champion, the great Mephisto. Uh, that is the Southeastern tag belts were on the line. The champion Mongolians managed by the great Mephisto was defending against Tony Charles and uh, Eddie Boulder. The next match was a special event uh, in the battle Royal uh, money match. It, uh, from the week before, where we had the Battle Royal and the, with that wild Battle Royal in our last stud cast, the two teams that ended up in the final match were both disqualified. And those two teams was me and Robert and Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin. And they held the money up. And they didn't give the 10000 prize to anybody. And the first two guys that were supposed to be in that ring, uh, the Stomper and, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, Joel Duke. They got into it, and uh, they fought all over the building and uh, didn't even go back to have the tag. So uh, it was a crazy, crazy battle royal. So the last match uh, of the night was going to be one the fans really basically have been waiting to see for a long time, man, no doubt about that. And uh, they got a little taste of it in that battle royal from the week before, but this was the first time in Gulf Coast history that these two guys were going to be booked against each other, and that was Joe LaDuke facing the Mongolian Stomper. Stomper was managed by the great Mephisto. Truly, that's a man, that is no doubt a tremendous card. Two title matches, a $10,000 tag match that had to have a winner, and the first meeting between Joe LaDuke and the Mongolian Stomper. All right, it's a good place to take the break. Let's do that. When we come back after the break, we're going to find out what was on the TV that set up this huge show that's coming up when this studcast continues hey and on this break stud let's take an opportunity to talk about tnstud.com and more specifically your lion novel brutus the lion what's going on with your book well geez uh, you know this time of year always brings me back to brutus man i mean uh the january in my book uh uh, that's the month that Brutus gets loose into the national park. And, uh, wow, did he, <laughs> it got wild. That book got really crazy at the point where he got loose in the park. As everybody could imagine, it's anybody that's ever been in that park can imagine a lion being loose in there. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty scary. So, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you know, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, because this is early January, it's right in the time period where the lion escaped in the park. And, uh, and, uh, so, uh, and, and, uh, the Brutus has been such a great book and there's been so much talk and, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's done so well. I just, uh, kind of wanted to, uh, r- remind people, I don't spend a lot of time talking about Brutus, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the, proud of the book and proud of the, and really proud of how well it's done. Hey, I'll tell you what, Brutus has a 4.5 rating out of a possible 5 and 62 reviews from fans all over the world. You can find Brutus on the internet at Amazon, Brutus Novel, and read the reviews 
for yourself. It is one of the few novels that you can get autographed by the author himself, the Tennessee stud, Ron Fuller. Don't miss this opportunity to own a -a one-of-a-kind novel. You can get it today on Ron's website, tnstud.com, tnstud.com. Click Stud Store. You'll find Brutus right there. The novel alone, only $19.99, and the extremely valuable personally autographed copy, like I have, is $29.99. It says, to Dave. See, it can say your name too. The stud stud can really spell it out for you. Hey, don't miss this experience. TNstud.com stud store. Only $19.99 or $29.99 personally autographed. Own a piece of history today. Hey, Studcast fans, welcome back. Another Studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. I'm David Summers. All right, Ron, we know what was on that fantastic card in Mobile, Alabama on its new night of Tuesday, January 8th, 1980. So how special was the TV that promoted and really set that card up for you? Well, Dave, I got to say, man, this TV show was one of the best uh, so far, I think, in the history of Southeastern Gulf Coast at this point. Uh, It had four great live TV matches on it, and it had four videos on it. Three of those videos are going to come off of that New New Year's Day Battle Royal, man, the wildest one I ever saw. Uh, And then uh, six, you know, that was six days earlier here. uh, And, you know, after this event, and uh, and it was a classic, man. And the the last of these uh, four videos is going to be something never seen on the Gulf Coast TV show before. Uh, It's going to come out of Tennessee, and it's going to send chills down the spine, man, of everybody that sits at home or in that studio and sees it for the first time. So the show opened with Charlie Platt, uh, Rob and I at the set. And uh, Charlie kind of set the tone for the show, telling fans that they were going to watch one of the wildest battle royals in history during this TV show, and that it would be coming in three parts. They were going to be run this battle royal, split it up into three different parts. And he says the first is going to be with Robert and I, and it was going to show how our father was injured by Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin in the Battle Royal. Uh, then Charlie uh, got right to it, knowing how full this TV was going to be. You know, he gets to see the format. He's, he's like, wow, this one is loaded, man. So the video opened uh, with all the wrestlers in ring one for the, in a two-ring Battle Royal. That's the way they all opened up. Everybody was in ring one. And, uh, you know, it was going to... It was the beginning of, uh, you know, the, the, basically the end of a tremendous night. Fans had seen some tremendous matches that night. Now they're going to see this absolutely wild uh, two-ring. So our father was the first guy eliminated from ring one. He got thrown over the top rope in the ring two. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and that happened because as soon as the bell rang, Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin grabbed him and threw him over the top rope. Uh, and, uh, you know, and, and Rob and I kind of saw what was happening, but we were too late to get there. And, uh, and we couldn't get there because all the other heels in the ring grabbed us and they held us until Golden and Jimmy, I mean, until Golden and Austin threw Dad over into the ring too. And uh, so then, you know, the video, we were watching the video, and the video then showed Jimmy Golden being thrown over in the ring too. But uh, guess who threw him in the ring, too? 
Norvell Austin, right? So, you know, we began to see a deal here, me and Rob. The, the Hills had a plan here to hurt our dad from the very beginning, basically. So then uh, so when Austin had helped Golden in the ring, too, uh, uh, dad's standing there waiting. And, wow, Jimmy got thrown in there with a buzzsaw, man. I mean, dad went to kicking his butt. And uh, that building went nuts, man. You know, there was only two of them in ring two. Everybody else was in ring one. And dad is just whooping Jimmy's rear end, about like he did back in the day when Jimmy had to live on the farm with us. Right? <laughs> so seeing that happen, uh, Norvell said, you know, to, to the other guys in the ring, he you know, get me over there in that ring. <laughs> I gotta help Jimmy, right? So, uh, so then the Mongolian stomper, you know, um, he picked, you know, and Charlie picked up on this, and he started to explain to fans, you know, about, uh, you know, uh, how these two ring battle royals normally work. He goes, you know, uh, usually the wrestlers try to throw their opponents over, you know, into the other ring, and he goes, but uh, so you know. <laughs> The, the stomper had thrown Norvell over there to help save Jimmy, right? So, you know, Charlie says, hey, this isn't the way Battle Royal is supposed to work, you know. Uh, so uh, Charlie didn't pick up on what the heck was actually going on, but me and Rob had figured out what's happening here, right? So meanwhile, our father, man, as soon as Austin got in there, Jimmy's down and he's trying to get out. And uh, Dad just uh, started on Austin. Now he's kicking both of them's butt, man. There's three over there, and there's 14 and 15 guys in ring one. And uh, Dad's just, uh, he's hes taking care of business over there. But, you know, he's right against these two guys, and they're two top guys. Well, it didn't last long. He kind of, you know, he ran out of steam, and they finally got him stopped. And then they began to double team him. So Rob and I, we're still in ring one. We saw it, man. And we started to try to crawl over the top rope mm. to get into ring two. Basically, mm. basically, we wanted, we we're going to eliminate ourselves from ring one to get over there to get in the ring to help dad. Right. So that's where it became even more obvious now what was going on. Because uh, uh, here came the heels again. And they jumped Rob and I, and they kept us in the ring one until Golden and Austin had a chance to injure dad and they hurt him by taking turns pile driving him several times they pile driving him four or five times wow we, we couldn't get over there and do anything about it and then when he was out of it maybe basically helpless helpless and uh, probably half conscious they threw him over the top rope to the concrete floor man and, <laughs> you know and uh, wow. and the crowd booed him man as if the crowd in the studio that are watching this on the monitors, they booed Jimmy and Norfell <laughs> like they were out there and it was happening right then live, right? <laughs> and so did the thousands in the auditorium. You know, I mean, the, the people were really, really mad. This is, and so as the battle royal continued, uh, uh, our father got carried to the dressing room on a stretcher. They brought a stretcher, put him on the stretcher, and they carried him out. So <laughs> crazy. Wow, that's that's horrible, and what a diabolical plan. I want to ask you this, the pile driver. It seems like in, quote, modern-day wrestling, it's not near as prevalent as it used to be years ago, and guys like your dad took took those, and you, and, uh, well, everybody in your family, 
you you would take those pile drivers back in the day. It doesn't seem like it happens today. Uh, well, you know, now they've got all these uh, different types of bumps that, uh, you know, that that looks devastating. But, uh, wow, there wasn't uh-huh. much a move ever more right. devastating than the pile driver. A simple yeah. pile driver, you put the guy's head between your legs and you pick him up and you drop him on top of his head yeah. with yeah. all his weight. I mean, uh, it's a very devastating move. And uh, they had done several of them to him while we're trying to get over there to stop it. Uh, you know, and uh, so uh, this battle royal got off to a wild start and it just gets wilder as it goes. I think I think every brother and his brother did the pile driver as kids. I did that to my brother and he did it to me and we realized that's not fun if you really land on your head. So my, I tell you what, your father was hurt again by Jimmy Golden, similar to six months earlier in, in Tennessee, right? Right. I mean, you know, this six months earlier than this this battle royal is going on. Uh, Jimmy hurt dad to begin with when he got him into the ring with the uh, with the uh, with the Tower Tanaka and Mr. Fuji, and uh, jumped off the top rope on on and they held him up on the, uh, up in the air. Wow, it was a devastating look. I thought it broke Dad's back. So, so the you know so yeah, that was pretty much you know the reaction, man. That everybody was having it. The, these fans watching this, and Charlie asked the director at this point. He says, "Stop the video right there." Okay. And he says, uh, you know, before we go any further, he, he wanted to get the first match into the ring. And uh, then he said to Rob and I, and he goes, I, I want to get this first match in the ring and it's so that I can have Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin join me at the set before this first segment is over. Right. So uh, that was that <laughs> that what kind of happened at that point. All right. So who was in that first TV match? Well, Jimmy Golden, no fella. <laughs> oh, I mean, they were, it, and they, and, uh, you know, Charlie knew it. And Charlie, he's, he's thinking, he goes, wow, I got to get them out here and watch this next part, you know, because they got to explain themselves. So, you know, Golden and Austin, and uh, they, after they, after this studio had watched this video, you know, and they booed them like they were there live in the, in the, seeing the match, uh, they they booed them like crazy as soon as they came out of the dressing room. They was like the last people they wanted to see in the ring. And uh, so Jimmy and Norvell, they loved it, man. So they obviously carried that attitude, man, that the, and they tried to get the fans even more, more mad at them. They got as much heat as they possibly could. And then they end up pile driving two of the guys, both of their opponents. And uh, that's the way they won the match. So when they went to the set, they... Uh, you could hardly hear Charlie talk over the booze from the TV crowd. They were really upset with uh, Golden and Austin. So the director uh, started the video again. Uh, and it started from the point where my dad was put on the stretcher, carried him out of the dressing room. It showed both Rob and I finally getting over into ring two, where it was just me and Rob and Golden and Austin in that ring. And uh, we tore into those boys, and, uh, you know, building exploded again. And uh, Charlie told the fans that uh, that this battle royal lasted more than 30 minutes, which is a pretty long time for a battle royal. <laughs> and, uh, and then he said uh, that later in the show, more of this battle royal were going to be shown. But right now, he, he said 
He wanted to announce that the last four men in the battle royal in the tag match for the $10,000 was Jimmy Golden and Norbell Austin and me and Rob. And the, so the studio crowd popped, but, uh, you know, they're going to come back to this battle royal again later in the show. So Golden and Austin, they start screaming. They, you know, first part of it was a joke. You know, we're going, where's Buddy Fuller? What happened to Buddy Fuller, you know? And then they started saying, well, and where's our money? You know, uh, they, we got $10,000 that owed to us. You know, and they, and, you know, they say, they were saying, you know, we were the last two men in ring two. And then they, and then they said the last two men in ring one, uh, they left the ring. Well, the last two men in ring one was Mongolian Stomper and Joe LaDuke. Can you imagine <laughs> that thing? Right? Those guys got into it and they left the ring, right? They never came back. So so the way this boiled down is me and Rob ended up uh, in there with uh, Jimmy Golden and Norvell Austin all the way through that second ring until everybody was out except for us. Wow. Four. So basically, it, they, they, you know, Charlie finally stopped them saying, you know, well, Don Curtis, he said, you guys, Don Curtis saw this battle roar. And he said he sent a video to the station this morning. Uh, he wanted to be seen on this show. And uh, he says, uh, I'm going to answer your question about the $10,000. You know, what's going to happen with that? So Charlie asked the director then, uh, who was uh, Wayne Register, to, to run the video. And uh, Don Curtis was very brief, and he said he would watch the entire video of the match. And he said in the deal, he says, it was what, it was the most awesome battle royal because I ever saw. He was like, this was amazing. And he said the two winners in ring one, you know, had done just exactly, uh, you know, they had left the ring before the tag match uh, for the money ever even happened. And uh, that was a fact. Uh, and it left Southeastern. He said, with no choice other than to allow the last four men in ring two to wrestle against each other in the tag match for the $10,000. So then Golden and Austin and, the, and the, you know, and Rob and I, we all got disqualified uh, <laughs> in this in the tag match. We knocked down both referees and we, you know, we were, we were pissed. I mean, dad's hurt and we don't know how bad he's hurt and, you know, so they stopped the match. And to, so, so uh, you know, uh, then, um, you know, Curtis says, uh, you know, so next week he goes, where we're going to settle this is we're going to have Ron Fuller and Robert Fuller wrestle against Jimmy Golden, Novell Austin for the $10,000 battle royal money. Wow. There's going to be no disqualification and there's got to be a winner. So the studio exploded in cheers, man. Golden and Austin, they exploded in rage. They were screaming at Charlie, you know, everything. Where's our money? This ain't right. And Charlie just cut him off, said, hey, we'll be back after the break. And hmm. Boom, he cut him right out. Wow. that's a Now that is an opening segment to a TV show. It had everything and even more video of the Wild Battle Royal coming up later. All right. So what was next? Well, a super pro was at the set with Charlie, and uh, he was going to watch the video <clears throat> of his I Quit match uh, with the wrestling pro from the week before. They had added, they were in an I Quit match in this same battle royal of the event. And the super pro was claiming that he never said, I quit or gave up in the match. And, uh, you know, and he said, I should have won, you know, but I lost. And so, Doc, 
Charlie disagreed, you know, uh, you know and it, so he had the director run the video of the I Quit match. And uh, so he says, let's just let the fans decide. Okay, how about that? So, uh, indeed, it did show that the Super Pro never did say I quit because because he had been put to sleep two times back-to-back by the wrestling pro in a period of about three minutes, right? So he was still unconscious <laughs> after the second time pro had put him to sleep. And the referee, uh, he was afraid that, you know, this guy, we could, you got to wake him up here, pro, you know? I mean, uh, but if he's not, if he wasn't awake, he couldn't say I quit, right? So, right. So the referee just stopped the match. He and he he was afraid that the super pro might die. You know, <laughs> hey, this guy might die, man. You got to do something here. Right. So we stopped the match. He raised the pro's hand in victory, and so the super pro was right. He didn't ever quit. He never said I quit. So uh, you know, super pro said I'm not done with the wrestling pro. You know, he was the, he really had it in for. Leon Baxter, I'm telling you, even though, you know, he had been turned down for another match with him the following week, he wasn't going to get to wrestle him again. He wrestled him for four weeks in a row, and now he's pro won't wrestle him anymore. So Charlie thanked him for uh, joining him, and he threw it to the ring announcer in the introduction of the next match. Okay, so who was in the next match? Well, it was your man, the wrestling pro man, Leon Baxter. Yeah. so Leon comes out and he gets him a big win in the ring with the sleeper. And then he goes straight to this set with Charlie. Now he's heard all this super pro comments before he went to the ring. And, uh, and he was, he was pissed and he, he made it crystal clear. He, he goes, I'm through, I'm absolutely done with this so-called super pro. I don't, I don't want to see him anymore. You know? And he said to prove it, he said, I just signed one of the most important matches in my career coming up next week. You know, I'm going to be wrestling the great Mephisto for the United States junior heavyweight championship and the heck with the super pro, you know? And he says, I'm excited about this opportunity. And he told everybody, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure that had to be a tremendous match. The wrestling pro versus Frankie Kane, the great Mephisto. I have the feeling this upcoming personality profile was also going to be something really special. So who was on that? Set that up for us. Well, Joe LaDuke. And it was maybe the best personality profile ever on a Southeastern Gulf Coast television show. So far, anyway, at this point, mm-hmm. you know, we'd been uh, out there there for two years. and uh, But, uh, wow, this, this was unbelievable. It, to fans, it was, it was awesome. It had some fans in the bleachers crying before this video was over. Some wait. people in the stands were crying. Wow, wait, are you serious? I mean, what was on it that could do that to the fans? Well, Rob and I was going to, you know, uh, to shock everyone. We're booking here, man, and uh, you know. So we wanted. We had so much going on here. We we didn't. Uh, we didn't even let Charlie Platt watch this video before he we showed it. You know, and Charlie liked to go in and watch the video so that he was familiar with what he's going to see. Well, he's there with him and Joel Duke. He's going to watch a video he's never seen himself, and we wanted to get Charlie's first reaction, just like the fans in the studio's reaction. And what we were going to show them was the blockbusting video from Tennessee in 1977. That match, that blockbusting incident with uh, Joe LaDuke and the Stomper that almost broke Joe's neck. Yeah. 
Wow. Put him in the hospital for more than a week. Mm. So of all the Tennessee videos that we had shown in these past few weeks, this one was going to be by far the most powerful and effective man to the studio audience. And uh, no doubt to those phone, you know, the fans at home as well. I mean, uh, this is, it, you can't get anything more chilling than this. So, so it did not show the Stomper's success the week before when uh, first week, Stompers sat in the middle of the ring, and uh, they, and uh, Gorgeous George Jr. broke a block on his head with a sledgehammer. But, uh, you know, it didn't show that. Uh, but it did show that uh, there, that uh, Gigi had challenged Joe LaDuke. Right after that was done, uh, that uh, to do the same thing next week. Let's see if you can do what my man did next week, Joe LaDuke. <laughs> well, Joe took man. Joe wasn't the type to turn down a challenge, right? So the original audio was removed from the tape because we wanted Joe to explain everything people were going to see, not just to Charlie, but to the studio audience and to all those people at home in his own words. So this profile opened up with Joe sitting in the middle of the ring uh, and the video about to run. The role, it had a, he had a towel draped over his head, which was to protect it from the broken pieces of concrete. When he broke that block on his head, he's got a bald head, you know, and that would have split him open. So he had a towel sitting on his head. And then and the, the, the stomper had done the same thing the week before. So also in the ring, standing behind Joe, uh, uh, was the Mongolian stomper and Gorgeous George Jr. Uh, Gorgeous George Jr. was holding the sledgehammer. Like he's ready to break the block, uh, just like he had done the week before on the stomper's head. So then the concrete block was brought into the ring, the one that they were going to break on Joe LaDuke's head. And when Rob and I, we were upstairs in the control room, and I remember this so well, man. Uh, this was uh, uh, in 1977, uh, summer of 1977. Uh, when uh, he brought this block in, uh, we, we were... It wasn't. It was almost twice the size of the block that he had busted the week before in the Stomper's head, you know. And it was. It, it was. And it was scary enough to watch the Stomper do this deal, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, he had a normal size concrete block on his head. But Joe's thing was ridiculous. The concrete block was so much bigger that uh, than the block bro broken on the Stomper's head. It was like one of those cornerstone blocks. Uh, it was almost 50% larger and heavier than a regular concrete block. Right, yeah. And that, and Les at the set, he picked up the same thing that we did. That, oh, wow, that, don't do this, Joe. we got to stop this. So Joe explained to the audience, because Les got up from the set, and he came to the picture, got in the picture, and he says to Joe, he says, Joe, don't do it. We're going to call this off right now. And, uh, you know, Les was concerned as we were. And, uh, you know, and we knew what Les was saying to him, right? But, uh, you know, and he said, the block's too big, Joe. And, you, you know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. And uh, so Joe told him, uh, you know, uh, he said, uh, go back, Les, and sit down, right? And, uh, you know, and, you know, he said, uh, I'm going to do this. So Les disappeared from the video, went back to the set, and gorgeous George Jr. then lifted up this block. Wow, it was a monster block. 
and uh, and he set it on top of Joe's head. And uh, when Gigi walked back behind Joe again, Rob and I could see that, uh, and Joe put his hands underneath the edges of the block to, so he could balance it there so that he could be, they could be hit so they didn't get hit with the sledgehammer if, if that was possible. And uh, when he set that block on Joe's head and Joe's put his hands underneath the block, you could see the block push Joe's neck down into his body. Oh, wow. It was like, it was like, oh, me and Robert and all, like, oh, no, mm. no, no, no. Because now he's got no, no place to, the, the impact of that getting hit on the top of the head, the, the neck can't be driven any further in. It's like, oh, gosh, no, no. So, uh, so you know, mm. I, I'd said I'd seen this video before, you know, and uh, listen, and, uh, yeah, I, I saw it, I saw it too, and it's it's really amazing, and horrifying, at the same time. I can't believe what what he went through with it after seeing the difference between the one broken on the stomper's head and the huge one broken on Joe's head. So why didn't he stop it? At that point, it was he just didn't want to step down from the challenge. <laughs> well, you had to know Joe LaDuke, man, to answer that. Sounds right? like it, yeah. Wow. Joe LaDuke, wow. man. Joe was a man's man. I guess that's a good way of putting it, man. And he'd been challenged, and that was all it took for him, man. You know, he wasn't going back out. I mean, if that block had been twice that big, he probably wouldn't have backed out on it, you know? So. So there was Joe, man, sitting there now. He got this huge block on his head with Gigi standing behind him, got the sledgehammer in his hand. And uh, all of a sudden, the stomper grabbed the sledgehammer from Gigi's hand, and he raised it over Joe's head. Uh, So uh, Mm -hmm. Joe screamed for the director to stop the video. Joe said, stop the video, right, Uh, which did. Uh, you know, Wayne Register was really good about that, man. He stopped it instantly, and, and there is the picture now. There's the stomper. He's got the sledgehammer uh, raised up high over Joe's head. And uh, so Joe told Charlie, he said, uh, he said, you know, Charlie, he said, I was probably wrong to have let, let this get this far. You know, he says, obviously, the size of the block was definitely a lot bigger. You know, and and, uh, and it was going to be much harder and worse the the blow to you know to break it than the, than the, the little one from the week before, and he says, but it wasn't that 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 caused this, and he said it was who hit me on the top of my head with a sledgehammer that caused my injury, and uh, mm-hmm. and he was right. He said, uh, just look at his face. You. It, and, you know, the still shots there. Now the stomper's got this sledgehammer about to come down on Joe's head. And the stomper had this demonic look on his face. Mm. Like I'm going to kill him. Right? Wow. Joe told the director to start the video again. The studio gasped, man. It's the same, just like Charlie did when the blow was actually struck. Uh, when it was originally done, we had brought in a slow motion camera. Uh, and set it on the apron and the ring just before the breaking of the block. And that slow motion shot uh, was then later in this particular video that we've shot, it was spliced into the original tape to, so that it would you, the fans would get to see the impact of it uh, from, uh, 
from actually uh, watching uh, watching the slow mo of it of, of it getting it. So it showed after the block busted in many pieces, it showed the stomper uh, smiling in the background as Joe fell and Joe went fell straight back on his back after he got the blow, the first blow. Uh, and the only blow. And he laid there for a few seconds. And then he sat up for a few seconds. And Rob and I looked at each other like, oh, God, he's all right, man. That's great. That's great. And then he fell backwards again, and he didn't move. And uh, we called an ambulance. Uh, then, uh, you know, they were buzzing in the Dilton studio, the, the fans that had just seen this, right? They'd never seen this before. Nor had Charlie. Charlie Charlie was just like they were. And uh, they were buzzing in the studio the same way they were in the Knoxville studio the day that that happened. So you could have heard a pin drop at this point. You know, when Joe gets ready to speak again. And he says to Charlie, goes, uh, you know, he says, Charlie, I, I don't think Gorgeous George Jr. had any idea that uh, this was going to happen, that the stomper was going to grab the sledgehammer. And he said, the stomp, stomper hated me. And this, this was obviously his best chance to really hurt me. And, and he took it. You know, and he said, uh, he almost broke my neck. He said, I spent a week in the hospital. Uh, it was months before I could wrestle again. I haven't wrestled, you know. Uh, you know, at this point, uh, you know, he's just explaining to people what happened after the incident. It was months that they didn't wrestle. And then when... And then when he did, he said, I, I asked for these matches with the Mongolian Stomper. And he said it was the bloodiest matches I ever had with anybody. And he says, and if I've ever had, you know, if I ever had, uh, but, but I would, I would, uh, I would not uh, had uh, left Tennessee uh, because of it. You know, he said, because I was, wasn't well. So he continued, you know, and he said for two more years after these bloody matches, he said, I kept working on my neck uh, and trying to develop the strength. And he goes, uh, hmm. you know, when I finally recovered, he said, uh, I started looking for where is the Mongolian stomper? <laughs> you know, and he said, I finally found him, Charlie. And then he said, uh, you know, Charlie, he says, I pulled that bus a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And he yeah. said, when I pulled that bus, he said, I finally knew I was well. <laughs> so he said, now, the last week in that Mobile, Alabama battle royal, he said, I finally got my hands on him. And uh, now, he said, all hell is going to break loose here, Charlie. He goes, I've been on at war with myself for two years. And he said, now it's time to take my war to the Mongolian stomper. <laughs> wow. So Joe got up, left the profile set. Standing ovation. I mean, everybody in the building stood up. Uh, Charlie was still trying to regain his composure. He was like, gosh, oh, buddy, what have I just seen, right? So, and he needed to because he was about to be dealing with the man who had caused all this, the Mongolian stomper. Wow, that was definitely, I have to say, one of the best personality profiles maybe I've ever heard. I hope the stomper wasn't rutting, wasn't wrestling especially after that profile and video. Well, the stomper was in the next match. <laughs> well, of course he was. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but, but first, the great Mephisto and the stomper were supposed to go to Charlie at the set, at the regular set over there, and they were going to watch a little more of the Battle Royal video that had happened the week before. 
But you know, the stomper man, he couldn't resist. I mean, and especially after what the, the, the studio had witnessed with him doing what he just did. Oh, wow. Did he chase the studio? That wasn't, he almost, everyone was practically gone. There was nobody in the studio when he went back. Mephisto had to come and get him and take him back to the set with Charlie. Uh, because, uh, you know, he, he went after the audience like he always did. Wow. And uh, the three of them watched a little bit more of the, of the battle roar. And, uh, <laughs> and it began again where it began again. The stomper had ended up, uh, one of the last two wrestlers in ring one and his partner, like I said earlier, was none other than Joe LaDuke. He was the second guy, the last guy, the last two in ring one stomper and Joe LaDuke. And they were supposed to be going against the last two men in ring two in a tag match. And the winners were going to split the $10,000 prize money. Well, that didn't happen to them, man. Uh, it's much as they didn't care about the 10,000 as much as they wanted to have at it. You know, and Stomper and Luke went after it, man. I mean, the video showed them fighting in the ring and then all over the building. They fought out of the ring. They fought all over the building. Uh, it was two battle royals going on at once. You know, there's Duke and uh, and Stomper in the crowd and the battle royal and, and the second ring. I mean, so they finally fought back to the Stomper's dressing room and uh, neither one of them uh, ever went back to the ring for the final tag match. So as soon as the Stomper saw his TV opponent uh, get in the ring, uh, and he, he was he was going to have a match anyway. Mm -hmm. well, he went. He discharged the ring, man. He attacked the guy before the ring announcer could even announce the match. Uh, and the battle royal video was over at that point, basically. As the matches start, uh, you know, the matches uh, kind of took a precedent over the TV match over the rest of the battle Royal. So mm. it was just about the shortest and most violent TV match I'd ever seen, man. I mean, mm. the stomper was just as mad and wild as a Ledoux during the profile. Wow. So I'm sure, man, you can imagine Dave, uh, who the winner of that match was. Yeah. You don't need a bunch of all that waste of time ring announcer and crap like that. Yeah. You know, you just get in there and do the job. You say no more, stud. I would have to, I, I, I would hate it to have been whoever that was in the ring. So how about the last TV match? Well, you should have been, you have to hate to be the one again, Dave. I mean, uh, Joel Duke was in the last one and he had that studio on their feet, man. Uh, from the beginning before they rang the bell, they never sat down and, uh, Wow, they loved Joe, man, and he he was he put a poor soul man in his bear hug and uh, got his hand raised, and then he went straight into the bleachers. He didn't go to the set. He went straight into the bleachers, and uh, and he got uh, shaking the crowd's hand and sitting next to him, and he stayed in the bleachers for two minutes before he went uh, even to make the last uh, the last interview for the upcoming match. Wow, I can see why he was such a popular star with the fans in spite of of the way he looked, of course. I don't think I ever saw a baby face that looked anything like Joe LaDuke. So this has been an absolutely awesome TV show. So tell us about the results of that card promoted by this TV show as you get into the arena, wherever that was. 
Well, there's uh, we're in Mobile. Uh, Terry Orndorff, uh, younger brother of Paul Orndorff, uh, won his first Southeastern match against Mr. X. Mm-hmm. Uh, Super Pro got the best of Roy Lee Welch. Uh, the Southeastern Tag Championship match was won by the Mongolians. Uh, the great Mephisto held Tony Charles' legs at the end of the match. The referee didn't see him. And uh, the Mongolian stomper actually got a pinfall on Tony Charles. But Mephisto uh, really cost uh, Charles the victory. And the referee actually, like I said, never saw it. Then in the United States Junior Heavyweight title match, the wrestling pro, Leon Baxter, had the champion, great Mephisto, in his sleeper hole. Had the Mephisto on his rear end. A referee raising his hand to see if he was asleep. And in from out of nowhere, here comes uh, the uh, super pro. Uh, just uh, hits the ring, man, and uh, he stomps the pro off the champion, and he got Mephisto disqualified, which saved the Arab's belt by doing so because pro had him beat. He had him down. He had him in his sleeper. He, it was over. And uh, so basically he kept the wrestling pro from becoming a United States uh, champion. So uh, in a battle royal money match, uh, that Rob and I against Jimmy Golden against Norvell Austin uh, for the $10,000, we won that match. And then the last match of the first, which was going to be the first of many bloody events between the Mongolian Stomper and Jola Duke, man. Match was stopped. Two referees got knocked down many times. Both men got disqualified. The winners, basically, for this, were the fans in the building. I mean, they were bloody as heck. And, wow. It was it was everything. It was the war they thought they were going to see, and they wow. got to see. And uh, these guys, they went after each other, man, with reckless abandon. I was amazed, man, watching the crowd. It's almost uh, you could see people one by one get up out of their seats, and they would go the ringside, almost to the aprons of the ring. And you could tell that the crowd, they were totally mesmerized by what they were seeing here. It was like, gosh, what a, I can't believe it. So, and, and it was only the first of a series of matches, man, that had no description other than maybe just a, calling it a bloodbath. Wow. That had to be another great night for the fans, especially when it came to the Mobile folks. So how about the attendance in all three southeastern major cities? How'd you do? Well, usually coming off a holiday, like New Year's Day, and you got a two-ring battle royal and, uh, and a great underneath card like we had the week before, uh, there, there, there was always a you know, pretty substantial drop in attendance. But, man, that didn't happen this time. I mean, after watching that block-breasting thing and uh, that television program, uh, wow, it didn't fall very much. Montgomery was only off by 300 fans. Went down from 5,200, but only to 4,900. Dothan followed suit. It went uh, only about 300 down, from 5,500 down to 52. Uh, Mobile had the biggest drop. But that was because, uh, you know, uh, we were in the uh, we were in the Expo Hall building, uh, you know, uh, and uh, it only held about 5,500. Uh, but... Uh, you know, we went back uh, this time. Uh, this time, uh, you know, we were able to be in the big board building. Thank goodness for this one. And uh, we actually had uh, over 8,000 men in this one. Uh, and uh, it, was a, it was a great week. Uh, the total for all three of the cities was uh, 
uh, 15, uh, close to $20,000, about 20,000 fans. And they were, there were few territories in the country, man, that had their top three cities that drew an average of 5,000 plus or 6,000 plus, man, wow. in each of those cities. So, uh, so that's what happened in the Southeastern Gulf Coast Territory in the second week of January of 1980. Wow. All right. I'm sorry, but we're not going to have enough time for a learning tree question this week. So, hey, set us up for next week, Ron. This has really been amazing. So where do we ride next week? Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to the hidden history lesson next week I got for everybody, man. Uh, there's so much going on at this point in the Gulf Coast Territory during this time that uh, had to do with the wrestlers that were in the present crew. Uh, we talked about this a little bit, uh, you know, uh, this week, uh, and something fans never realized because it was hidden intentionally uh, and it was meant to be handled behind closed doors when you were going to change wrestlers and uh, what you were going to do as far as uh, getting new wrestlers involved. So next week, I'm going to open that door, man, that, that, that's always been closed, that kayfabe door. We'll take everybody backstage and openly discuss uh, who was happy in that crew, who wasn't happy in that crew, uh, who was going to be replaced uh, by those that weren't happy. You know, so uh, it's going to be an obvious booking lesson next week. I feel like it's going to be an extremely interesting thing for fans. The cards are, were very good during this uh, time frame. Next week card is going to have a championship tag match in which the loser of the fall is going to leave. And for the first time, we're going to have two mass wrestlers meeting with the loser of that match having to unmask. So speaking of that loser unmasked match, Dave, uh, I want to run a little contest for my fans on, on my social media site this week. And as, as soon as we start back on Wednesday, uh, you know, the, we that people are listening to it right now mm -hmm. when you're listening to this you can go and look on my social media sites and and i've got a little question and answer for the fans my fans so and i want to see if uh, if you can answer the questions uh about these two mass men and uh and that loser leaves match uh the, who and that loser unmasked match so uh, mm -hmm. uh i'm gonna leave a little question for you is the who one of these guys in particular? Who is this guy? What is his real name? Ah, cool deal. That's awesome. All right. So this has been, in my opinion, one of the best, one of the all-time best studcast ever. Your hidden history lessons are a big hit, in my opinion. And next week's sounds like something fans don't get anywhere else. That blockbusting video had to be amazing. I mean, literally blockbusting video back in 1977 when it happened. The huge crowds being drawn in cities the size of Dothan back in those days had to be all-time records for cities that size. And now coming as soon as this studcast is released, is released a little question and answer for the fans. That's going to be really cool from you on the social media sides. You are keeping us busy, stud, and we absolutely love it. Hey, folks, you know the, the deal? Find Ron on Facebook at Ron Fuller, the Tennessee stud. Like, follow him there, and automatically become friends with a living legend. On Twitter or X, find him at Ron Fuller Welch and follow him there as well. Check out the fantastic website, tnstud.com. It's tn, tnstud.com. This studcast 
is going to be there. This one that you're listening to now is on TNstud.com with every studcast ever done. We're talking 332 of those on TNstud.com. You can shop the stud store there as well. You get 43 super studcasts. Four different 8x10 photos, the thrilling lion novel, Brutus, personally autographed to you, and t-shirts still on sale. T-shirts, you've been wanting these? Only $15.99, still on sale, all with free shipping. Subscribe now at YouTube Southeastern Rewind. Get the best in old school wrestling. The best in old school wrestling. YouTube, put in Southeastern Rewind. It's the first one that comes up. Find 380 videos. The last 109 studcast. 52 stud stories. 93 short rides with the stud. And now 12 Ask the Stud question and answer shows. All exclusively on YouTube Southeastern Rewind. It's the best deal in old school wrestling. All right, last word for you, Stud. Well, you know, I want to thank everybody, obviously, for their continued support and uh, and the wonderful comments that I've been getting uh, on social media sites. And uh, please tell your friends and other wrestling fans about us. Uh, take care of yourselves and others, and may God bless us all. For Ron Fuller in the Great Smoky Mountains, I'm David Summers saying thank you for listening. Find me at davidsummersproductions at gmail.com. This Studcast is a David Summers production for Tennessee Stud. LLC. Thanks for joining us today for this historic studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson your friends and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. One, two, three. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.